Welcome to today's Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. We're kicking off the Mompreneur Model for 2024, and I am so excited to still be here day after day, week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and businesswomen, especially those of us building our businesses from home, that we're just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done. We're not. We are smart, we are savvy, and we are sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life, and I'm thrilled to be bringing today's guest into our show. Jennifer Manichurian wrote her first novel, Alpha Betty, during COVID, and is currently working on a second book. Over the decades, she has had many careers that include public relations, family therapist, divorce mediator, screenwriter and producer, on and off-Broadway producer, musical book writer, and screenwriting teacher. She serves on the board of three nonprofits, New York Stage and Film, The Peace Studio, and 18byvote.org. More importantly, she is a wife, mother of five, grandmother of 15, and sister. She's the middle of three. She also has two cats and two dogs and a large number of supportive friends and colleagues and believes that anything you do in life takes a village. I love this, and I am so excited to bring her in. So, Jennifer, with all that being said, welcome to Word of Mom Radio. Thank you, Dory. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I would love for you to take us on your journey that with all of the things that you did that led you now to become a writer of a novel, no less. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been a writer before, but not of a novel. But my journey is a long one, and it's, I don't know, it's, I won't say it's typical of someone of my age and my generation. I am somebody who married young. And at the time, one of the words that I feel like best explains wherever you are in life is process. You don't get, you know, it's a long process to get to where you are today. Probably I wouldn't have written that novel if I hadn't been through all the different things I've done during my life. But I started out, I got married, I was barely 20. And by the time I was 27, I had four children and I was a housewife mother. And then Biddy Friedan wrote this little book called The Feminine Mystique <laughs> that created a revolution in this country. People, you know, role, your role expectations all changed. And I had my husband is an Iranian, so I had married somebody who had very traditional ideas of a, where a woman's role. And I was never unhappy at home. I'm, I'm kind of a creative person by nature. I look at pictures of myself when I was like in my 20s and pregnant and <laughs> or with a bunch of kids and with kittens and dogs and everything else and I looked very happy and I and I was it was I was never unhappy but a restlessness kind of came in me where I wanted something I wanted a role outside the home my mother was a role model for me in many ways even though she considered herself a homemaker she was also a, 
a writer. She was a book writer. She wrote cookbooks, garden books, and she had had a very, very successful career before she got married. And she felt like she had to walk away from what she was doing when she got pregnant and had my older sister. But she channeled that kind of energy into things she could do at home, which is what she did. But to me, the idea of finding, you know, I was well-educated and, and I guess, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but smart and ambitious. And I had a drive that I needed to be doing something. I just didn't know what. I had dropped out of Barnard when I was young and I didn't have a degree and I didn't really have many skills. So I didn't really know what I was going to be doing, but I just knew I wanted to do something. And I have to say, turning 30 was kind of a pivotal point for me. I mean, looking back now, 30 looks like, oh, my God, so young to have a midlife crisis or whatever. (laughs) But at 30, I just felt like I was at a, you know, I had all these kids and then I wanted to be doing something out in the world. I became a little depressed for a while. Anyway, I wound up trying to find things I could do while still maintaining my primary role, which was, you know, having children, taking care of kids. I did things in the community, you know, the PTA, I had led a Girl Scout troop for my daughter. To make a long story shorter, I wound up slowly building up enough credits to feel like I could finally get a degree. And I did some of it through an alternative program that State University of New York offered called Empire College. And if I had had to go back traditionally, I couldn't have gone in a classroom at that time. I just didn't have a place for that in my life. But I was able to do it through alternative methods where I created my own curriculum and I worked with a mentor and I also had taken a lot of courses here and there. So the year I, I had my fifth child when I turned 34 and I also got a degree the same year. And the first, so to speak, job I had was in a business of my husband's where I was doing public relations. But after a couple of years of it, we we were kind of clashing (laughs) on directions in different ways. And the more involved I got, kind of the more problematic it was. And I thought it was just, wasn't a good idea. There are people who can work together and, and live together, but it wasn't a good idea for us. So I went back and I got a master's degree in counseling. And then I did clinical training in family therapy. I was a family therapist for a period of time. Then I got into the field of divorce mediation and I had a practice. I had I practiced in both fields, but I also became, I was working at a family institute. My office was there and I was actually on faculty there. And through that, I created a training program in divorce mediation. So I was teaching and just doing a bunch of stuff. I was involved in the New York State Council on Mediation, helping to create that and to do different things like that. The more involved I got, this it really sounds like insane, but my youngest child was about 14 at the time. And we made a decision to have an apartment in New York City because we lived about a half hour outside of the city. And we decided to go into the city and she was going to go to school there. Anyway, it wasn't a good decision in a lot of ways, but I had an opportunity at the same time to get involved in producing theater. And like, I don't know, I just, I'm, I can be somewhat impulsive at times. I took this leap (laughs) from one, I walked away from my professional life as a therapist and a mediator and became a theater producer. And it was a journey that I stayed on for a long time. Jennifer, it is such an amazing journey. And as somebody who was a returning ed student when I was having children, I think it's a wonderful thing that your kids saw you go back to college, go back and get a master's. I think that that's inspiring to kids because it shows them that 
as a mommy because, you know, you're their world, you're their mom, but that you are your own person and that you had other things to do. So I think that it's remarkable. I don't think of it as a life like, wow. And I really feel that everybody who's listening, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. You can do whatever you want to do. How old were you when you wrote your first novel? Oh, well, <laughs> well, pretty old, ancient, in my 80s. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, well, you have, there are certain things that you have to have. You have to have a lot of drive. You also have to have physical energy and kind of an emotional energy and curiosity. I mean, I just, I guess my philosophy of life is kind of like, it's, it's an adventure, but you got to make it that. You, you create your life and you have to go off and I'm not afraid to fail. And so I've, you know, I've done things that may not have worked. I started a little business for a time. This was before I even went to school uh, to get my degree back. And I hated it. It just wasn't right for me at all. I, my mother wrote cookbooks and she wrote garden and she had a very well-known cooking school in New York. And through that, I had had some recipes that I had written that were the food editor of the New York Times knew my mother. And so I contacted him and I had some stuff written in some recipes and a whole, actually, I have a whole little uh, chapter in one of the cookbooks, the New York Times cookbooks from a long time ago about Persian food that, that I was making. And I started getting drawn into that field. I was asked to give a demonstration somewhere. I had I'd done something where I lived. They had a school that people could come to, like an adult school. And I had given, I taught baklava and stuff like that. And I felt myself getting drawn into that. And I thought, no, no, I cook for my family <laughs> of seven every night. I don't want to be cooking. I, I don't want a career from this. So you've got to have a certain amount of emotional flexibility and also the ability to do it. Listen, if my husband weren't the breadwinner, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this because even as a therapist, my income would hardly have supported my family. I do think that I'm also somebody who doesn't think in terms of regret because, you know, all of it got me, if, if it wasn't the right thing and I moved on to something else, all of it kind of took me to something I did want to do. And theater producing had a lot of challenges for me. And I've, and I've been doing it ever since. I'm not at the moment really producing anything. I, my office shut down with COVID. I didn't have an essential business. And theater, it's just, it's very challenging. And for different reasons, my need to be on the more creative end of things was really strong. And I, I've been doing things over the years. I, one of the things I did during the time I was producing was I wrote a film with one of my sons that is still on um, Amazon Prime Video. It's called Family Blues. And I produced it as well. And that was quite an experience. But screenwriting is something I love to do and I've continued to do so that, I mean, I moonlight in different directions because uh, if you're, if you're involved in theater or you're involved in screenwriting, so much of what you do is just projects take a long time to to develop and to, to get to a point where they can really, and they may never come to fruition. You can have a lot of kind of things that you're juggling. That, that you'll never know if anything's going to happen. And, and just I, it just happened to me a couple of times, weirdly, where of the, all the things I'm juggling, they tend to come to fruition at the exact same moment. And then I think I'm going to go nuts. Something I may be writing, for example, I've uh, written the book of a couple of musicals. And in fact, there's three of them. 
if anybody's interested. <laughs> One of them was done, actually, we wrote it just before COVID. When I say we, I'm talking about my composers that I work with, Dan Martin and Michael Biello, the composer lyricist team. We wrote a little musical that we entered in a short festival, a, a, a short musical festival. We didn't wait to find out if anything happened. We, when COVID came around, we decided to produce it, to make it. It's really funny. We've, it, so much has happened with this musical. It was gotten to all sorts of festivals. And I think it's because this is, I can thank my background as a theater producer, because it was really important to me that we had a really catchy title and a really, really amazing artwork poster. It's called Cockroaches and Cologne. And the poster is great. <laughs> and it's on YouTube. Anybody can see it on YouTube. Another musical we had done was called uh, Mary Harry. That's also online. We had done that in terms of producing the theater. It was, it was at a couple of regional productions. It's very hard to get things moving in terms of uh, regional theaters to, to be licensed and to go places unless you are a well-known team or you have well-known people involved. And we didn't feel we were up against that. So I decided to film it and we produced it and filmed it like just before COVID. I mean, we really got lucky. And so it's, that's also streaming. But that was all happening at the same time. I mean, different things. Have, it's been an interesting journey. And at the same time, I have been writing screenplays and a film. I had options as a producer. I had options a novel that was written in 2014. And I thought it would make a film. And I was thinking about making a film out of it. And the person who was writing the screenplay initially was the writer of the novel. She's a lovely Scottish woman. But her voice was so different. It was in a little town in Scotland where this story took place. And her voice, everything's a little wee something. And it's so charming. But I really needed this film to be done in the United States. So I took over writing it. And I wrote the screenplay, a million different versions of it. And finally, we I felt ready to get a director for it. And that, and then as soon as we start getting involved with the director and I had a producer involved too who had been, been helping me shape the script along the way. So then we run into COVID, slows things down. During COVID, I write this novel and that I had been taking short story courses over a period of time and I, and I was piecing together different things. So all of a sudden, this year, this current year, <laughs> When I'm in my 80s, I have had to learn how to publish and market my book. Just learning to market alone has been a course. And also my film, we produced, we wrote, the film was done in May in Ely, Minnesota. And it's now in post-production and it'll hopefully will be in, in a festival next year. It's, at the moment, it's titled Boundary Waters. And it's a, it's a serious movie. It's a coming of age story of a young kid in a family where something has happened, he doesn't know what it was. And it's kind of like the impact of trauma, the social impact of trauma on everybody, not just the individual, the family and the community. And it's also coming of age. So we've got these group of kids and they run and they play and they do show and tell and stuff. It's also a serious theme. Whoever has done the bad, the harm in this, the traumatic doer, shall we say, is never part of the story. There's you know, there's nothing you're seeing that's going to be horribly, you wouldn't want your kids to see. But so it's, it's really just about the impact of trauma rather than the cause of the trauma or the cause-er when it's a person. So all of this has happened within this year where I have this book and all these decisions I have to make regarding the book. And I'm, the film, I mean, every day with the film, 
In fact, I spent all morning working on something relating to the film. It's been a crazy year for me, but it's nothing could be better for somebody my age than having to learn like this and having to expand, you know, learn new things and really bounce all those balls that they're still going. Do I forget the little PS in here that I also have a large family? <laughs> we've had a we've had a wedding. What else has happened? I have kids. I have grandchildren, and I I feel like I'm kind of the center of a wheel. My husband too, but our family is a very very big part of my life. And so anybody needs me, I'm there. But the rest of the time, I'm you know doing all my. I'm sure my kids feel I'm too unavailable, which I don't like to think. I like to think I can be available, but. But at the same time, I really much have my own life, which is kind of at, at my age. I I also have my husband living home, and he's older than I am. Wow. And he's healthy, and he's uh, also still working. And so I work upstairs all day. You know, COVID got rid of our offices. <laughs> and he works downstairs all day. But, you know, I'm still a wife. We cook dinner. We have breakfast together. It's it's a lot. My life's got a lot a lot of different pieces to it. What do you think about what Jennifer is talking about? Because you know what, age is a number. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to say thank you to our sponsors, and we'll be back here in just a moment on Word of Mom Radio. She is brave. She is bold. She is you, and we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. In 2017, Unsilenced Voices was formed to help survivors of domestic abuse and gender-based violence worldwide. The organization currently serves Sierra Leone, Rwanda, Ghana, and the USA. In 2022, Unsilenced Voices gifted over $33,000 to survivors in the USA. And in Sierra Leone, there are over 26 young girls who have been rescued from sex trafficking and domestic abuse and now going through vocational training school in order to better their lives. We need your help. Donations are critical in order for us to continue our work. We also need volunteers to help with research and development. Please visit unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to Stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. Check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back here on Word of Mom Radio. We are talking with Jennifer Manichurian, and I have to say that I am so excited hearing all of the things that you are doing at 85 years old. I love that you are breaking those myths. When I hear people say, oh, I'm too old to learn how to use my computer or a smartphone, I don't understand technology. Please keep breaking those myths, Jennifer, that you are never too old to learn something new. So I have to ask you, what is different 
when it comes to writing a screenplay rather than writing a novel? And what was your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge was, first of all, when I first started taking this course, maybe about seven or eight years ago, it was like every other week for two hours. And I figured, oh, let me take it and find out if I can write in that in narrative form. And I, I found out that I could, but if I could write a 500-word story, I thought, wow, I'm doing well. I need, <laughs> I need a prize. Writing a novel, when I heard 60,000 words is like a minimum for a novel, I thought, well, that'll be for other people. I mean, I just never thought I could write a novel. Screenwriting, I mean, they're very different crafts. There, there are common elements to both. I mean, to me, as far as I'm concerned, everything hinges on character development. You really have to have a strong sense of who your characters are. They have to live within you, breathe within you. You have to know these people. And that's true in both forms. And I think authenticity, maybe that's the word I'm looking for. If I, when I see movies, you get the right actors who will sell a movie and the plot can be silly and the character development is terrible and that really bothers me. Because so character is a main element and through character, these characters who you get to know, they also talk. What people say in screenwriting is a certain way of the balance between dialogue in a novel and dialogue in a screenplay is like the reverse because in a screenplay, you have very little narrative. You set up a scene, you know, the who who's in it and where is it taking place and kind of some of the elements. You can write cool modern living room. You don't have to describe the whole living room. That's the job for the production designer to figure out what it's going to look like. So it's very spare and economical. But then the dialogue is also going to be spare and economical because everything has to be driven towards your story. It's all plot driven in terms of getting you to the, there's nothing gratuitous. And in a novel, you have more time. I don't say everything has to be related in the same way. But you have much more space to develop that. In a screenplay, if you look at a script, the scenes are short. A scene can be half a page. A scene can be three pages. You're not going to see a 10-page scene, I don't think, or at least I haven't. You also have a camera who's like your best friend. The cameras, you, you don't have to say they fell in love. You can see these two people looking at each other, and you know it. I often use an example of a film that I think is a great teaching film, and it's called The Confirmation with Clive Owen. And it's a small, it's like an indie film. It's not a big film. But it's, and it's a small story of this deadbeat dad who, ha, who has his kid for the weekend and kind of he has to figure out whether he can be a dad or not. That's kind of in its simplest form. And before you've even seen the father, you have a dark screen, the credits are starting to roll and you hear this truck starting to start and it can't start. So you know without a word of, there's trouble going on here. Then you see this kind of deadbeat guy and he hasn't shaved and he's in his beat up truck and he's really annoyed and a word hasn't been spoken, but that character has been created. So I talk about so many, how the camera works in your favor. Then he runs into his ex-wife and she says to him, next time you screw up, you're not going to see this kid again. Something worse to that effect. You've got a whole backstory Right there, the economy of screenwriting is so different. Then you get to a novel. Now, the novel was challenging for me because I was used to writing as a screenwriter. And I also teach as a screenwriter. So I'm very aware of the economy of everything. Whereas in a novel, 
you have to describe that scene. I mean, all that I just talked about with the deadbeat dad and then the ex, you have, you have to find a way of writing it where the audience doesn't have the, they, they're not able to see it. You've got to be the camera, so to speak. You have to set the scene. You have to describe it. When people talk to each other, it's not just word, line, 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 line. There's things in between. Somebody picks up a cup of coffee. Somebody pauses to, I'm not going to say take a cigarette, but to take a chocolate or whatever. There's, there's so much. That part of writing was so hard for me that in my initial draft, I mean, my book is told through the point of view of eight different people. It's all, it's different chapters from different points of view, but it all kind of centers on uh, an old lady, older than me, <laughs> a 95-year-old woman who uh, is in, wakes up one morning and makes a decision that night to give a dinner party. Something happens, she, and she, she kind of feels like she's gotten a sign from her dead husband. And she makes a decision to give a dinner party that night for the small people in her life. And, it, and there's not a lot of people left who are really key to her life. And she hasn't given a dinner party in 10 years. So nobody knows what's going on other than that these few people are invited plus a medium. So in the first drafts that I wrote, a few people said to me, it reads more like a screenplay. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm too dialogue heavy. I haven't set the stage enough. I'm not showing people what's going on in the room. So it took a lot of work to do that. It was very hard for me. I mean, when I got to like 50,000 words, I, almost, I couldn't believe it. And I actually, the novel is about 290 pages, which is about 75,000 words. And I mean, I finally learned. I'm a do-it-yourselfer in everything in my life. And this was one of them. But it was very satisfying, too. But we go back to something. I, I don't know if you said this to me off camera or on, but my feeling in everything you do in life, you know, even just as a woman and a mother, and we don't do anything alone. Everything's done with other people, with help. I mean, it takes a village. And in terms of writing, if you just write in isolation and you don't get feedback and you don't, I mean, I write with other people. I have a writing group that we work with. And we, sometimes we could be, particularly during COVID, we could be on Zoom all day and nobody even talks unless, but if you come up with a question that you have or something, you know, you're stuck somewhere or you've written something and you don't know if it sounds real or not, you say, you know, you press the button for audio and you talk and you ask. And I ran my novel past when I felt it was not wasting everybody's time, but it was like in some kind of a shape to be read. I ran it past the people in my group, and I got great notes, and they all write. They were all published this year. It's really a weird year, but everybody was published this year. And everybody writes differently, so the kind of notes that I got were all different. And they really informed my revision. And then when I really got to the point of feeling like – you know, maybe it's ready, but no, I didn't know that it was ready. I thought I can't do any more with it without some somebody helping me. I felt like I need a professional perspective on this because I can't go any further. I don't know what else to do. So I sent it to a developmental editor who is often who you'll get sent to when you get an agent or, a, you know, a publisher will want you to do that anyhow. And that was, again, thanks to all my writing friends who made the suggestion to me. And she gave me, the editor gave me amazing notes. I mean, they were comprehensive and they were like, they stunned me in the beginning. And then I looked at them and I agreed with almost everything she said. 
And I went back to the drawing board and it took me quite a long time to do that final revision. But then by the time I felt like I had a book that was ready, the publisher that I worked with was a hybrid publisher. They didn't feel like it needed any changes. Everything, it just takes a lot of people, but I feel like I've digressed from your question about the difference between novel writing and screenwriting. No, you didn't at all because it makes so much sense. Let's face it, you have to write all of the descriptives down in a novel because you can't have just a long lingering look in a novel without explaining what they're looking at. The art director is there, the set designers are there, the lighting designers to create the mood when it comes to a screenplay. And those long lingering looks don't need a narrative behind them. So it makes perfect sense what you are saying with the differences in all of that. Yeah, and it's learning how to do that without making it a cliche. You know, yeah. to, uh, for, in my novel in particular, I have it all happens over the course of 24 hours, and it involves the lives of eight different people. You learn about their lives through that, through the through their backstories. But figuring out how to, you know, in a in a movie. It, you know, it might be a flashback or something. In the novel, I had to figure out how to make their backstories, you know, not feel like it was just plopped in information, how to bring them to life. And all of this was done with help from other people, just talking about it, you know, talking about and asking other people how they did it. I mean, I really feel so strongly that if any of your listeners are people who are writers, you get a writing group. That's all I can say. Get people you trust. I mean, I sent it to my sisters who, who are very, very smart and good readers. Feedback, if you can't let go of your babies, as they say, if you can't listen to what people say, it doesn't take away from what you do. It's still your story. It's still your work, but it just makes it better. On that note, what a great way to end this part of our conversation, because I would really like to have you back. I'm very interested in reading your book and getting to share that with our audience. So Jennifer, as we are wrapping up, what would you like to leave our listeners with and how may they reach out to you? Well, I have a website. It's my name. Should I spell it? JenniferManaturian.net. You want to spell your name? Go for it. All right, it's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-M-A-N-O-C-H-E-R-I-A-N.net. It's pretty phonetic. I'm also on Instagram, you know, Facebook. I'm on other places, too. My book is on Amazon. It's on all the different online sites, and there will soon be an audio version. You, it, it, there's a print version. There's, you know, paperback, an e-Kindle version. And Excellent. I would love to, and I have to, I just have to make one quick comment about my book. I feel like my first line is either going to make people want to read it or not want to read it. When you read, if anybody decides to read it, see if you, I hope you'll get past the first line. I think most people, I have a sense of humor that comes out in very odd ways. And I feel like it took me a long time to kind of describe the character of the old lady, which is pretty, pretty much well done in that first paragraph of this very independent, stubborn old lady. I really look forward to reading it because one of the things that we have tried to reinforce on Word of Mom Radio for so long is that it is never too late. Your dreams do not have expiration dates on them. 
with all of the hats that you have worn throughout your life, Jennifer, during COVID, you decided to become a novelist. I think it is amazing. I can't wait to read your book. I can't wait to have you back on. And again, I thank you for reminding all of our listeners, your dreams keep happening. Keep dreaming. Keep doing. Keep making them real. I don't know what's next. <laughs> How cool is that? But I have my health, and I have, thanks to my mother, the energy DNA. I mean, you've got to have that. I'm, You know, I, I don't want people who are older who don't have the ability to do this because of health reasons to feel bad. I mean, I'm just blessed with very good genes. Well, you know what? You can have all the money in the world. Your health is everything. It mm-hmm. really is. And you live. you are living proof of that. So... Jennifer, I want to thank you again for joining us here today on Word of Mom Radio. I so enjoyed our conversation and really do look forward to having you back to talk about your book and possibly the sequel that's come out. Who knows when we'll be able to get you back on the air, but it will happen. So again, thank you. And for all of you tuning in, Thank you so much for being part of the Word of Mom Radio family. We so appreciate all of your support. And as we start a new year, we have fabulous shows, amazing hosts, and we are going to continue to make a difference. So we're going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is sure, she is sure, she is strong, she is